Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, a weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. Just want to give everybody a real quick update or status on the contest. Uh, I've sort of made an announcement. I mentioned it last week on the show. Uh, unfortunately, the contest has been canceled uh, due to some unforeseen legal issues. I was forced to shut down the the contest for the raffle for the iPod. Uh, I tried real hard to find a way around it. Uh, I spent a lot of time trying to come up with this uh, contest and this giveaway, stuff like that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it didn't work out the way I was planning it to, and we aren't going to be able to do that. Uh, we do have still have the one-year anniversary coming up, but it's still a big event. Uh, but I'm kind of pinned in a corner here. Uh, all the plans that I had for the you know, to kind of celebrate the one-year thing just kind of fell through the floor. So uh, I can't promise that I'm going to come up with anything else before that time comes. I'm going to work on it, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Also wanted to give you a real quick update on next week's show. I do have a couple things in the works for next week's show. Uh, However, it is uh, my daughter's birthday, and I might be taking the week off. Okay, don't everybody freak out. I know in the last year I have never missed a week, uh, never missed a show. Uh, I'm going to work to get something out, uh, but we have a lot of, I have, you know, personal life comes up. We got a lot of stuff going on for that next week. So uh, just a heads up to everybody. So uh, if you come around next Thursday and you don't see a show, that's probably why. Uh, Again, I'm going to work on it. We'll see how things go. Now this week what we got for you is a question and answer show. Uh, As I mentioned, uh, we have a lot of topics and and stuff that, uh, as I mentioned on last show, that we're going to be putting together. I've got a series with Brian Plankus that we started last week. Uh, We're going to be continuing with that. We've got a lot of stuff that we're going to be doing. So in the meantime, I thought I'd fill this week with a question and answer show. So this week we're going to be doing Q&A show number six. And this week's question and answer show is sponsored by Coral Dynamics. Coral Dynamics specializes in quality captive propagated corals, clownfish, cardinalfish, seahorses, uh, lots of great stuff. Make sure you head over to CoralDynamics.com and check it out. And stay tuned to the end of the show because Coral Dynamics is running some specials and some giveaways. So stay tuned to the end of the show to get all the details on that. Now, for this week's question and answer show, uh, what I've done is I've gathered up a handful of questions uh, that I've received from email and from the forums and a couple that have just been some generic questions that I thought I'd throw in because I see them kind of a lot and I thought I'd address them. So uh, for the first question, uh, this comes from Stephen Franks. Uh, I believe this one was in the forums and it was a a general question regarding uh, how should we handle coral? Uh, He basically goes on to say that beginners are often worried about being stung or, uh, vice versa, damaging the coral. Uh, So how would you handle corals or anemones? You know, a lot of people are concerned about this. Not so much with corals all the time. I think the concern with corals is that you might injure or damage the coral. Um, But there's a lot of other things that people uh, are a little bit worried about, uh, like anemones. I know on the anemone show, 
Uh, I think that was 40-something. I don't remember what number that was. But we had talked about ways to handle anemones uh, in that show. There's there's some options. You can use uh, latex gloves. Uh, you can use – there's they sell long, you know, like real – the rubber gloves that go real high up on your arm they're used for reaching in your tank and doing work uh, those will protect you uh, anemones you uh, most of the anemones not all of them most of them uh, if they do sting you you won't even notice uh, you should be careful because if you t happen to have an allergic reaction to them that can be serious uh, so you should try to protect your hands from them uh, one of the easy and quick methods that I had mentioned uh, in the anemone show was actually using the plastic a plastic bag like a fish bag when you bring the stuff home uh, they you know you'll get it in a bag and if you use that bag turn that bag inside out or if it was double bagged you can use it, the second one whatever and you can use that as a temporary glove and, and that works if you're in a pinch and you need to use something as for corals most corals uh, aren't going to be harmed directly by you know touching them of course you want to have clean hands uh, you know, be careful. Make sure you rinse your hands off well. Uh, try not to use soap because soap's not good for your tank. If you do use soap, they have to be rinsed very, very well because you can't get any of that soap in your tank or in direct contact with your corals. Uh, again, same thing applies here. Uh, any of the long gloves will work. Rubber gloves, plastic bags, anything that you can put over your hands to protect your hands from the coral and the coral from your hands. Uh, another thing, depending on the size uh, in the, the situation, you might be able to use tweezers or tongs. Uh, pretty much, uh, you know, anything that you can put into your tank uh, will be okay. So, uh, most of the time, it's not a big deal. Uh, so, if you are a beginner, you are worried about this, and if you are really worried, then you know, look at some some latex gloves or something. You can usually pick those up at a pharmacy for you know a hundred of them for two dollars or something. I don't know. Uh, but there, it's really not that big of a deal. So uh, hopefully that answers the question, Stephen. And for anybody else uh, that was worried about that, hopefully that answers it for you. Uh, at this point, let's move on to the second thing. Now, this second topic uh, didn't come from anywhere specific. It's something that uh, comes up in the forums on a regular basis. And it's something that I get questioned about on a regular basis also. And it has to do with hair algae. Now, there's always somebody asking, what is hair algae? What did I, how did I get it? How do I get rid of it? Well, mainly, how do I get rid of it? So I'm going to take a little bit and a couple minutes and talk about hair algae uh, because it seems to be something that everybody wants to know about, If you're, especially those that are new to, the t new to uh, keeping tanks and stuff like that. So first of all, what is hair algae? Hair, hair algae is a type of macroalgae. Now, uh, I know that uh, a lot of people, uh, if you're new, you might see uh, the fact that a lot of people keep macroalgae in their tank. Now, this is not a beneficial macroalgae uh, in, in the same way that some of the other stuff like the Chetomorpha or Chetomorpha and the Calepra uh, and stuff like that that we might keep in there. Uh, this is actually a nuisance algae. And as I had mentioned before, the big difference between the two is uh, the beneficial algaes uh, and the, the nuisance algaes essentially are going to do the same thing. The big difference is, is the nuisance algaes are going to be, uh, they're going to have an under, uncontrollable growth. Uh, in other words, you're not going to be able to contain them. They're going to grow all over the place. And this is where hair algae comes in. Uh, when it's just growing on a couple rocks, it's not really a big deal. Uh, but it's going to spread and it's going to start growing all of your pumps. It can clog up your pumps. It's going to grow on your rocks, on your corals. Uh, start smothering corals, uh, it can be a real problem. Now, 
that kind of sums up what it is. So again, it's it's a type of macroalgae. It's a nuisance macroalgae uh, that we don't want. Uh, it's usually green. Uh, in fact, in, in just about all cases, it's green. Now, in some cases, you might look in your tank and you might think, oh, that looks like hair algae, but it's not green. Now, what'll happen sometimes, and I'm going to get into this a minute and it, because it's it's correlated to having a new tank, uh, but what'll happen is you'll see it and it'll be a brown or a reddish color. And uh, what tends to happen a lot is you'll have what's normally green hair algae covered in a cyano or diatom uh, algae or bacteria or something like that and it's going to change the appearance of it so it might not look that bright green like hair algae normally does uh, uh, but in this case a lot of times it usually is just hair algae and it happens to have something on top of it so if you're going to you know jump in and uh, try to get information on what some of this stuff is you know grab a picture of it post it in the forums we can almost always identify hair algae even if it's tinted with something else on it so it's not a big deal, you know, we can help you out with that. Now, what causes it? Now, this is this is a tricky question. We in the hobby are pretty sure we know what causes it. We do know what contributes to it uh, and what can make it grow more, but exactly how it gets in there, this, that, and the other thing, um, you know, again, we have a pretty good idea, but I don't want to say that we're 100% sure. Now, what I do want to say, and something that I've come to find out and kind of learn going through this is it seems to be uh, you know something that new tanks go through uh, you know if you remember back from the shows where we start about talk about doing the cycling and one of the signs at the end of the cycle is a diatom bloom and you get this diatom dusting all over the place well I've kind of come to the conclusion that uh, shortly after that stuff clears up you are going to go through a phase of hair algae now, some people go through a very minor phase. Some people get it really, really bad. Uh, what it comes down to is the types of things that contribute to its growth. Now, hair algae, like all macroalgaes, are going to feed on phosphates, and they're going to feed on nitrates, and basically excess nutrients in the tank can be caused by overfeeding, uh, can be caused by using tap water that has you know these high PO4 nitrate uh, phosphate and nitrate levels. So uh, important things to remember from day one starting your tank, uh, and if you're not currently using it, make sure you're using an RODI water filter or you're using distilled water uh, to kind of prevent that from happening. Make sure you're not overfeeding the tank. Uh, one of the things that's going to happen is if you start to see this, you might even test your water and say, well, my phosphates and my nitrates are zero. Well, honestly, what happens is uh, that stuff is in your tank and it's consuming that stuff. And what can happen is it can be consuming all of the free phosphates and nitrates in your tank and making your test results come out at zero, even though you really do have some in your tank. It's just that the algae is consuming it on uh, a regular basis. You know, it's consuming it before you can actually test it as free phosphates in the water. So, uh, you know, if you see this stuff in there and it's growing, you know, you are, you're having phosphate or, you know, nitrate issues. You might not be reading them as bad as they truly are. So keep that in mind. Now, again, how to get rid of it. You know, this is probably the biggest question that comes up. There's not a surefire way, but here, here's the basic rundown of what you want to do. Again, make sure you're using RODI water, distilled water, uh, test your water source. If you're getting your water from a water store, you're getting it from a local fish store, you're buying it bottled somehow, grocery store, whatever, make sure you test it. 
just to be on the safe side. Make sure you're not have you don't have any nitrates, any phosphates, anything, any you know excess nutrient levels in the water that could be contributing to this. Once you've confirmed that, then you know you still are going to have it in your tank. The next thing is make sure that you're not overfeeding. Uh, you know I can't sit here and tell you how much you're supposed to feed, be feeding your tank. Uh, the general rule is as much as your fish can readily eat in five minutes without laying, you know, without the waste settling to the bottom. So. You know, kind of keep that in mind. Feed is appropriate. Uh, depending on the species of fish, uh, you can usually feed every day or every other day. You know, there's a couple that need to be fed more often, but I'm not going to get into the specifics. Make sure you're not overfeeding. That's the key point. Because overfeeding can lead to excess nutrients and thus cause the algae to grow even more. Uh, you know, so, you know, other ways to get rid of it. Once you get those two things under control, uh, the next step you usually want to do in most cases is uh, make an attempt to you know start pulling the algae off the rocks or wherever it's growing. Just kind of reach in there, uh, grab a clump of it, pull it off, and throw it out of the tank. You know, have a little container there and just start pulling the stuff off and, and getting it out of the tank. Uh, you know, as you do that, uh, you know, hopefully what you'll notice is it slowly not growing back. You might notice it growing back in the beginning, but as you continue this process, it should stop growing back. Uh, there are certain chemicals that you can add. I'm not a big chemical proponent. Uh, you're welcome to try them. If you've got questions about specific ones, I'm not going to get into them, but uh, feel free to hit the uh, Talking Reef forums and ask any questions. Uh, there is a natural product um, out there that I've tried is from a company called TLC. I cannot, you know, I can't remember the exact name of it. It's a water clarifier. Uh, anyways, it's a it's a bacteria culture, and it'll actually go in there and starve the hair algae and cause its die off. I've used that with some success in the past. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact name of it at this moment. Uh, but I know I've mentioned it on other shows, and if you want to follow up, if you need the exact name, uh, hit the forums, and uh, I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as I can uh, and get that name to you. So, you know, that's that's pretty much it. If you have the opportunity to take the rocks out of the tank, you know, go ahead and take them out, uh, get a toothbrush, scrub the, the hair algae off, rinse it under some water, uh, and go ahead and put them back in the tank. You might have to go through this exercise a couple times. Um, you know, but the, the main thing that I want everybody to understand, if you're new to this and you've never been through this and it's the first time you're going through a hair algae phase, don't panic. Don't freak out. Follow the steps that I've given. Try to control it the best you can. It'll go, if you, if you follow this information, it will go away in time. Now that in time might be two weeks, four weeks, six weeks. You know, I can't say for sure. It depends on your conditions, but uh, you'll get through it. It's not a crisis. You know, it'll it'll go through, and we'll you'll get it gone. So that pretty much sums it up. If you got any more questions, you know where the forums are. And this next question, sorry, this next question is coming from Steve. And Steve, uh, yeah, Steve. I'm sure there's only one Steve out there. I don't remember what Steve it was, and I don't remember if it was from the forums or not. Anyways, the basic point is, how do you cure live rock? Now. First of all, uh, not sure if I've talked about this before, but live rock comes in uh, two different forms, cured and uncured. Uh, cured rock is what you usually get from the local fish store when you go in and they pull it out of a tank that, you know, it's sitting in a tank, it's submerged in water. Uh, that's usually cured rock. Cured rock, uh, you know, the stuff from the fish store, is something that you can 
uh, generally speaking, just put right into your display tank and go to town. Uh, you know, nothing really special needs to be done. Uh, if you're kind of a live rock, you know, paranoid live rock, live rock person, kind of like I am, you might quarantine it first. Uh, something that I do. I've had bad experiences with, you know, various hitchhikers, hydroids, uh, aptasia, flatworms, so on and so forth. Uh, I'll, you know, quarantine my live rock and, and if something's wrong with it, I might, you know, try to take care of it or just, I might just kill it all and bake it right off. You know, it's kind of a waste of money to do it that way. But uh, quarantine live rock is usually a good idea uh, if you're adding it to a tank that's already set up. So uh, anyways, getting off track here a little bit. Uh, so that's cured live rock. Now, uncured live rock, is usually what you get when you order it online and you have it shipped to you in bulk. Now, this is live rock that uh, came out of the ocean or out of holding tanks of some kind, has been wrapped up in you know a moist container or something like that, and, and shipped to you. Now, uh, a lot of the stuff in and on the live rock is, in this case, with the uncured or non-cured live rock, is dead or dying. And what's going to happen is if you put this in your tank, the stuff that is dead or dying on there is going to start decomposing or continue to decompose. And it's going to cause a huge ammonia spike in your tank. This is, you know, one of the reasons why you do not put uncured live rock in an established tank. Now, if this if you're just setting up a tank, then using uncured live rock is a great way to start the cycle in your tank. So uh, for brand new tanks, go ahead and dump your uncured or non-cured rock right into your tank and let it go. But for those of you that are adding it to an existing tank, uh, what you need to do is cure it. Now, what this is going to do is it's gonna, you're going you're gonna to take a container separate from your display tank. This could be another aquarium. It could be a Rubbermaid container uh, of some kind. And you're going to put the rock in there submerged in salt water with a heater at the proper temperature. You do not need any kind of lighting. Um, and then the only thing you want to do is throw a power head or two in there to get the water moving through there uh, and let it sit in there. You're going to want to you know, keep an eye on it, change the water in there. You don't have to be a freak about it. It's that, you know, what you're doing is you're uh, allowing the stuff that is dead or dying to finish dying, uh, decompose, get off there, uh, you know, settle out, and allow it to be recolonized by the beneficial bacteria that it needs to be. Now, once that process is done, then you can put it back in your tank. Uh, this process usually takes, you know, a week or two. Uh, you want to, you know, basically go through and just test it. Uh, you know, every, you know, I'd say after a week of it sitting in there, change the water out, uh, get the new water in there, let it sit in there for a week, test it. Uh, if you're still showing really high levels, go ahead and change the water out again, throw new water in, test it. Uh, you know, once you get to a point where you're not seeing huge spikes and it's done with its site, you know, its cycling process and done curing and it's okay to go in your tank. Again, the main point is you don't want to put this stuff in your tank until uh, everything has stabilized with it. That stuff that was dead, you want to make sure that it's off of there and it's decomposed and it happens outside of your tank. So hopefully that gives you a good rundown of it. And, you know, again, uh, separate container, heater, power heads. Uh, get some water moving in there and do water changes as needed uh, and test it and that way you'll you'll know when it's ready to go into your display tank it usually doesn't take very long uh, and it's you know buying uh, non-cured rock or uh, uncured live rock is a, a great way to save some money so uh, check it out there's a lot of places online that sell that stuff
right, now this next question uh, isn't really something that was asked in the forums. Again, this is one of those things that uh, I really actually don't even see asked a lot. It's something that's recommended a lot. Uh, a lot of people will make the comment uh, that they're using uh, um, hydrometers to measure their salinity level in the water. And they're, you know, saying, oh, I measured it one time, it was this, and now it's this, and whatever. And, and the typical response that comes back is that you should be using a refractometer. Uh, and, you know, we could go on until, you know, the days are long and old and we're all bored out of our mind as to the best way to test the salinity levels in your tank because no matter what we come up with, there's a better, more expensive tool to use. Now, for us normal hobbyists that don't have $200,000 to invest in scientific-grade equipment, uh, you know, a refractometer is a very good tool to use. Uh, now, a lot of you know the hydrometers. They're, com you know, the little needle ones that you'll fill up with water, and it's got a little needle that floats in there. Uh, basically, depending on the buoyancy of the water, the needle's going to set in a certain spot, and that's going to determine your salinity level, your specific gravity. Uh, now, in the refractometer, these, the, these are a lot more accurate. They're a better way to check it. They're really not that expensive. You can find them online for about $30, $40. Uh, you want to look for ones that have automatic temperature compensation. Uh, that's really the key thing there. Uh, some of them are real fancy and have little built-in lights. Uh, but uh, check them out line, online if you don't know exactly what they look like. But it's, it's essentially looks like a, a little spy scope. Uh, I guess I'd say like a handheld telescope, real, you know, real long, probably about real, not real long, probably six to eight inches long. Uh, it's got an eyepiece on the end, like a microscope eyepiece. And on the opposite end, it's got this little plate where you put a couple drops of water on, you close the plate down, you put it up to a light source, and you look through the eyepiece, and there's going to be a little blue line in there that's going to indicate exactly what uh, you know what what your salinity levels is and now uh, there's a folks over at reefvideos.com I believe it is and they did a nice video on uh, refractometers and it was a good video because they actually showed the refractometer showed how it worked and they were actually able to do something that I tried real quickly and I wasn't able to pull off but I think they actually got a picture or a video of what it looks like on the inside of the refractometer when you're looking into it. So if you're interested in that, head over there and check that out. Uh, it was a good little clip. So uh, again, good thing to use, not very expensive. It's going to give you a much better uh, reading on there. Uh, it's also, you know, like I said, automatic temperature compensation. So uh, you, you know, it's going to adjust for it if your water's cold versus your water's hot. So uh, keep all that in mind. You know, hydrometers, they work. Um, I used one for a little while. I had pretty good luck with it. You have to make sure that they're washed and rinsed out after every time you use them. Uh, when you first get them as brand new, they've got to be seasoned. Uh, basically, what you do is you fill them up with salt water and let them sit for 24 hours. Then you rinse it out, and then you can start using it. Uh, if you follow those, they usually work pretty good, um, but you, you'll see very mixed reviews on them. Some people say, oh, they're fine to use. Some people say they're very inaccurate. Um, I have seen both. I've seen them that are very inaccurate, and I've seen them that... You know we're fairly reliable you know I've had one I've seen other people's I've had one and mine was pretty reliable uh, but I switched over to refractometer anyways
the next thing that we're going to talk about is something that, uh, again, has come up a few times. And it's, you know, in response to the show that I did or the video that I did on culturing rotifiers or rotifers. And, you know, it, it was regards to, you know, what's the real difference between doing a batch culture versus a bulk culture? Uh, in the video, uh, what I showed was um, batch culturing. And batch culturing essentially is uh, just that. It's individual batches that they're, they're contained separately. Um, you can split them, you know, from each container. Uh, bulk culturing is what you would do, uh, and it's something you can do, if you set up a large container, let's say a 5 or 10-gallon aquarium or uh, some kind of whatever container that's fairly large, and you can grow all of your rotifers in there. And then what you would do is you could just stick a siphon hose in there and siphon out, you know, X amount of water, you know, through a filter, a plankton filter, and get the rotifers out of there. Now, what's the real big difference other than the obvious of, you know, using, you know, a series of smaller containers like I use, um, you know, three or four one-gallon Rubbermaid containers uh, versus using a five-gallon tank, um, you know, room consideration, uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but in my eyes, what I found is, um, you know, if I'm running three or four batches and one of them crashes, no big deal. I've got three more already healthy and going, you know, as long as that's the case, uh, that I can just dump the other one and, you know, get going right from those. And it's not that big of a deal to, to you know, restart from, you know, one of the existing cultures. Uh, it's easier than restarting, you know, an entire crash. Let's say uh, you have a bulk system and you've got a five-gallon tank or whatever, and the whole thing crashes. What you've got to do is drain out, you know, most of the the nasty water that's in there, and then at the bottom you're going to have, uh, you know, the cysts that were dropped off by the rotifers, and then you've got to basically reculture those cysts and rehatch them to get your culture going again. It's really not that big of a deal to do, um, but in my opinion, it's a little bit more work for you know what I wanted to do. Uh, so I chose the bulk. Or, I'm sorry, I chose the the batch culturing. Um, that's a, that's the big difference. Um, other than that, I don't think there's a huge difference. It really depends on your situation, how much you need, uh, how much work you want to put into it, and how much risk you want to put into it. Uh, for me, batch culturing uh, was my choice, and it has worked very well for me uh, over the time. So again, uh, as with anything, if you got questions about Rutherford culturing, uh, head over to the forums and let us know and we'll help you out. Uh, it's something that's really easy to do and it's a great coral uh, food source for, you know, for a lot of stuff in there. So moving on, uh, we've got a last question here. Uh, and this one, come, this one was posted to the forums. It was posted by a forum member. Uh, for, the forum member's name was Dewey's Dad. Uh, so hi Dewey's dad uh, and this was a, a good question it's something that I haven't really addressed yet because I haven't really got into lighting and it's something that I'm working on uh, but it's that's you know many of you who are familiar with lighting know that that's not an easy subject to, to talk about especially in a general format uh, like the show has a tendency to be so uh, I'm still trying to figure out the best way to do that anyways to the question uh, was how close is too close for a metal halide bulb uh, and this, you know, can vary. Uh, some of the dependencies are what type of bulb. Is it a single-ended uh, mogul socket bulb or is it the HQI uh, double-ended, you know, bulb? So, uh, you know, those bulbs are smaller. They have to have a, 
plexiglass, you know, shield over them, a UV shield over them. That's going to protect them from the water. Uh, so, you know, really the concern is, is do you have a shield or not? Uh, if you have a shield, you can get it closer to the water without um, risk of it exploding on there from being in contact with water. If you don't have a shield on there, then it has to be farther away. You know, in any case, a shield is a good idea. So if you have the opportunity to put uh, a UV or a water shield or something on there, you should. That being said, a common distance uh, tends to be anywhere from 6 to 12 inches. Now, that can vary uh, depending on your setup, but there's some some considerations that you need to keep in mind. Uh, the closer you... Ha metal halide bulbs burn really hot. So, you know, something that's important is the closer that you have it to the water surface, the more it's going to heat up the water. So, you know, keeping it there, you could be overheating your tank. Uh, you might need to move it up a little bit for that. Uh, it also, you know, moving it up allows room for fans to get in there, good air circulation to get through there, uh, and thus proper cooling uh, to keep your tank from overheating. So, uh, I guess, you know, the short side of this would be, I would say, between 6 and eight, uh, six and 12 inches. Uh, if you have a shield protecting your bulbs from the water, then you can go closer, uh, you know, more closer to 6 inches. Uh, if you don't, then you're going to want to stay more towards the 12-inch range. So with shield, more to the 6-inch range. Without shield, more to the 12-inch range. Of course, this is just a general, you know, you know, your situation may vary depending on what you need and how much room you need for other stuff. So, uh, well, Dewey's dad, I hope that uh, helps out with that and, uh, and stuff like that. If you got more questions, let me know. This week's tip of the week comes from uh, our good friend on the forums, Mr. Blubberguts, uh, also known as Fat Walrus, and uh, a good friend of the Talking Reef podcast, great forum member, uh, and made this comment in response to a post some time back, and I thought it was an excellent, excellent tip. And it was in regards to somebody getting some, you know, potentially false readings uh, when doing their, you know, their tank tests. And the comment that was brought up and the tip that I'm going to be using this week is to clean your test tubes and or vials uh, after every use to ensure accurate tests. And this is something that's very, very important. Uh, you know, keeping your hands clean, keeping the vials clean, uh, failure to do that can result in some pretty off-the-wall readings. Now, uh, let's just give put a little bit of something in perspective. Uh, a lot of you know that I dose Kalkwasser, and part of making the Kalkwasser involves uh, vinegar. Well, what had happened is I had got some vinegar on my hands, and uh, or not on my hands, on the little uh, bulb dropper thing that I was using. And when I had pulled the water out of the tank and put it into my test tube vial to test the pH, I was getting a pH reading that was just off the wall. Uh, and needless to say, what was happening is the water was being contaminated because it wasn't rinsed out properly. You know, the, the dropper wasn't rinsed out properly uh, after, you know, working with the vinegar. You know, this goes for all your test kits. Make sure they're washed out, rinsed out, dried out, uh, you know, and all that before each use. So uh, it'll help make sure that you get an accurate test, you know, more accurate test results from, from your test kits. And that about wraps up the show for this week. Uh, we're going to move on to the community update closing section. And the Coral Dynamics special that uh, I was talking about in the beginning of the show, I just wanted to mention. Uh, during the month of July, and they usually do this every month, Coral Dynamics is giving away free coral frags. 
Uh, how can you, you know, great deal. How can you beat that? Uh, with every online order from Coral Dynamics, you receive a free Coral Frag. Uh, this month, they're giving away Elkhorn Montipora Frag. Uh, so, uh, real simple, place an online order and you get it. I believe it's automatically added to your shopping cart. Great deal. Coral Dynamics also has a contest called Return the Love. Uh, this is a contest that they run every month. And basically how it works is every order that you place qualifies you for a monthly drawing and a chance to win uh, a free order uh, plus, you know, including free shipping uh, for the next month. So uh, at the end of each month, all of the orders are placed into a hopper and the winner is allowed, then allowed to place an order the following month uh, totally for free uh, for an order equivalent to the price of what their previous order that they won on was. Uh, and Coral Dynamics picks up the shipping charge. So I think it's a great offer. So if you're interested in getting any corals, clownfish, uh, seahorses, cardinal fish, uh, cleanup crew, any of that, that fun stuff, uh, just head over to CoralDynamics.com. Check out their website. Check out the stuff that they got. Uh, some great offers there. Uh, just a reminder, also, uh, Talking Reef MySpace, if you are a MySpace user, uh, myspace.com forward slash Talking Reef, uh, come be my friend. Uh, yeah, anyways, uh, so uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, in regards to the Talking Reef forums, uh, there's been a little bit of activity in the buy-sell trade forums, and I just wanted to let everybody know that that's a resource that's available. If you're looking to buy something, if you're looking to, you know, for used stuff, uh, you have coral frags or equipment that you want to sell or trade um, or anything like that, head over to Talking Reforms. We have buy, sell, trade forums in there. And uh, if you're looking for something, you want something, you need something, you want to get rid of something, you want to trade something, it's all there. Uh, there's a lot of great people that uh, you can probably find somebody that's interested in what you have. So check that out. And of course, make sure that you, uh, the next time you're on another forum or you're at a meeting, uh, reef club meeting, uh, even at the local fish store, tell somebody about the Talking Reef podcast. Let them know. You know, let's get some more people in here listening, some more people out to the forums. Uh, the site has been just doing great. The shows have been doing great. Uh, so your assignment is to tell a friend. Tell a friend about Talking Reef podcast and the website. Uh, and of course, last but not least, uh, listener call-ins. Uh, the poor old listener line uh, is dead still. Nobody seems to want to use it. Uh, so, uh, again, we're looking for introductions like we've played a couple times on the show. So if you want, you have introductions that you'd like played on, uh, the, you know, you're listening to Talking Reef Pocket, blah, 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 whatever, you know, call them up, record them, and uh, so we can use those. If you've got questions, comments, or anything else uh, that you'd like played on the show, anything questions about something or just a, a quick comment hi you're listening to or hi how you doing whatever you know go ahead and call in let's let's use this line uh, and you know see if uh, see if we can get some stuff on the air for you uh, it's quick easy just pick up the phone dial area code 586-486-3357 we'll get your stuff played on the air now uh, for some of you people that aren't you know well, okay for everybody that's really not using it uh, if there's a reason why you're not using it, if there's something wrong if you'd like to see something else done uh, let me know if it's a long distance problem uh, you can call free using Skype uh, screen name talking reef uh, and also right on the website there's a comment line you can do the same thing there 
uh, you'll see on the website uh, on all the pages about halfway down on the left hand side there's a little blue box that line so make sure you go in there uh, check it out and you can record a, a comment in there too so uh, you know all these different ways that you can you know provide comments and feedback and stuff like that so go in there and do it so that's going to wrap up this week's edition of the Talking Reef podcast. Uh, this is actually episode 60, I believe. Uh, thank you all for joining me. And uh, hopefully if everything goes good, uh, I will see you next week. or Well, I will talk to you next week. I'm not doing any video shows yet. Got some in the works, but not yet. I will talk to you next week. And uh, if it turns out that I don't, well, then we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. But I'm going to work on it. So... Uh, have a good one. Talk to you all later.